0: Hi and welcome to the podcast you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a solo podcast which is me talking to myself or talking to a wall and uh, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has been subscribing to the Patreon thank you everybody who's been sending me emails alicerfraser at gmail.com is the place to do that thank you everybody who tweets me at alliterative, L-R-A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. There's been some really lovely feedback coming in about the trilogy, which is available in in full and, in fact, with bonus material on um, all kind of podcasting apps or via the ABC website, um, abc.com.au? I don't know. Uh, Check it out. Google the Alice Fraser Trilogy. It's all up there. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, who's really supported that. It's been... It's a it's a really important piece of work to me. It, it means a lot that people enjoy it and I don't think I've had anyone be mean about it, which makes me very happy. Not that that uh, is the measure of anything. Anyway, I'm going to answer some of your questions in this podcast, some questions that have come up from my Patreon subscribers and some on Twitter, so I will just get into that now, I guess. Other than that, um, I'm doing a live bugle in Salford on the 7th and in Dublin on the 8th. And I have a one-off, the final, I think, of Ethos in London on the 11th at the Angel Comedy Club at 6.45. So if you are in London, I think that's probably the last time to see Ethos. I'm, I might not do it again. Uh, I currently have no dates booked in to do it again at any time in the future. So that's it. That's enough plugging. Onwards and upwards with the show. Sam Streeter asks, are the academics that have only got experience in academia missing out? Does corporate experience add or detract from research? That's a really interesting question. Um, Sam, I don't know, having not been an academic who has been in corporate life. I I only went into um, a large firm after I'd been in academia. I I think there's sort of two ways to look at that, possibly more. More. There's obviously more, but two ways I can think to answer that question are um, there is a shelteredness that comes from only being in academia. If you go straight from school to university and straight from university into university, postgrad, and then onwards, I think you have a very limited idea of the world and your sense of the priorities, um, the priorities of your work or the priorities of the world are circumscribed by academia. But those academic priorities are very kind of pure and sweet in many ways. The ideas that academia have and cultivate are nice. Um, I think you have more of a sense of the privilege of being in academia if you've been outside of it, if you've spent time in corporations and see how much most of the world is dictated by the bottom line the idea of going back into academia where it's it's kind of knowledge for knowledge's sake or learning for learning's sake, at least. Um, that is being chipped away at now by various kind of managerial inputs and, and government things and the way that a lot of universities now are being more money-driven and more output-driven and more uh, driven to give people better marks because it's become a vocational training ground rather than... What it used to be which was this kind of land of learning um, so there are two ways of looking that I know my dad went into academia after being in corporate life um, having started in academia and then done you know 20 years of, of corporate life and he said going back into academia was astonishingly freeing that he felt like he'd had to work harder in corporations and the expectations of academia were um, more relaxed at the same time as he kind of refused to do all of the admin. So um, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Samantha. Um, Brian asks, thank you for... That's not, that's not a question, that's a compliment. Thank you for saying that compliment. Thank you for being such a thoughtful, provocative and hilarious gift to the world. Uh, I would say thank my parents. They're the one who gave the gift. My question is, who are the people who helped you towards a feeling of fulfilment in your art? Uh, Brian, the people who helped me towards a feeling of fulfilment in my art would have to be probably my mum, and uh, I think every audience that's ever laughed at any of my jokes, anyone who's ever read one of my poems and uh, had a reaction to it, um, definitely... Both of my parents were very supportive of artistic endeavours when we were kids, and my mum certainly... um, I mean, I remember walking with her when I would have been three, maybe four, and her stripping off some bark from one of the paper bark trees near our house, uh, paper bark gum trees, and giving us things to draw on it with. So she always had that very kind of creative approach to the world. I think that probably... Did something to me early on, and then um, any author or any artist that 's ever given me a reaction has always been an inspiration or an inspiring thing, and inspiration is such a tacky thing to say, but they 've always any any time i 'm affected by art it, it it makes me feel like it is possible to affect other people with art um, so any anyone really uh, from you know street art to Bad fantasy novels, to poems, to other comedians and performers, and and even even bad art. In fact, like when you see something that doesn't work, that that can be a driver for doing something that does work, or wanting being given, being fueled with the desire to do something that does work. Uh, Brian has a second question: Is there a defining moment that caused you to leave your legal career? Um. Well, I think I probably was out before I was in. I wanted to see if I could make it work, kind of knowing, I think in my heart of hearts that I couldn't make it work um, but I wanted to prove to myself that if I had wanted to make it work, I could have made it work uh, and about a year in I decided not. But there were there were a few incidents um, where it just came very clear to me that I, my priorities were different from the priorities of the corporation and that it it wasn't going to be enough for me to be doing, doing it right along those lines. I had to do it right along my own lines and that would bring me into conflict um, in my workplace. I can't be more specific than that um, about you know clients and stuff, but just moments where there was something that was the right thing to do as a lawyer and it didn't feel like the right thing to do as a person... And part of that was the kind of lawyer that I was, being, which is to say, a corporate lawyer. Okay, I hope that answers your question, Brian. um, And this person who is called roughly the distance between Adelaide and Oakland, uh, which is a great name, says, when is your favourite time to go grocery shopping? Uh, Thank you for the question, roughly the distance between Adelaide and Oakland. My favourite time to go grocery shopping is when I need or want more things. (laughs) I don't have a particular routine or a particular favourite time. Sorry that that is the answer, but that is the answer. Uh, Dr Tom Atta asks, why do fools fall in love? I don't know, ask a wise man. William asks, what is your favourite thing to cook for friends? Oh, that is a great question. I do a kind of a mushroom hot pot that I think is very good Um, but my favourite thing to cook for friends is actually breakfast or brunch. I think that's possibly my favourite meal. Maybe that's a very Australian thing to say but there's something uh, luxurious about a fancy breakfast because breakfast is such a functional meal that that a really sort of specially put together luxurious breakfast um, always feels something, something special to me. Uh, also, I like cooking desserts and I do a really good, I know this sounds awful, but it's like a tofu chocolate cheesecake. I went through a phase of trying to find ways of, um, of doing healthy sweets for my mum who had a very sweet tooth, uh, but she was sick and didn't have a lot of impulse control at various points. Um, physically in her brain didn't have that capacity, so I always wanted to find nice ways to give her delicious things that were also healthy. Um, so that's cool. Uh, so I, I guess there's three answers. I, I like cooking for friends. I very rarely get the opportunity these days because I'm travelling around so much of my life it's hard to find a place that I can bring people to. Uh, I think that's one of my goals in life. I've never really felt like I needed to buy a house or, or anything like that, or, but having a space that is mine that I can close the door to and open the door to friends with is a goal of mine uh daniel asks i forget why you're mad at flamingos but don't want to relive the necessary amount of this year's news to find the bugle episode where it was explained daniel i will not explain that on this podcast that is a bugle podcast question and um if it helps at all i don't think it is answered at any point (laughs) in in the canon of bugle uh, content Neil asks, uh, what are you doing up so early? Are you a morning person or is this a really late night? Uh, Well, Neil, I don't think I can answer that question. Um, I am probably a morning person but I work late at night. So also I'm often in different time zones. So that's, that's the answer. But it's not a good or an interesting one. So I'm sorry, Neil. Uh, David asks, what is your favourite colour and why? My favourite colour is um, that Eve Klein blue, that very deep blue, uh, but I'm not wed to it. I think it can be done tackily, but sometimes it just hits you in the face. Well, I really want to really see in real life and touch banter black which is not technically a colour. I think it's technically a substance. It's been patented, but it's so black that it sucks up all light and has no reflection. So if you hold a sphere of it, it looks like there's a, it's just a flat circle because there's no reflection. I really want to see that. Hello Campers asks, with all of your travel, how do you find the time to write, rehearse and try out new material? Uh, the answer to that, Hello Campers, is with great difficulty. Um, I tend to rehearse on stage I will write um, in transit I'll often write on on public transport in fact uh, on, on a bus on a way to somewhere and or you know sitting in a cafe somewhere between things I find the more busy I am the more productive I am actually when when I don't have anything to do I just drift off but I'll do Old Rope in London quite often which is a great new material night and then other than that I try to to preview my shows for as much time as possible Um, ...to get them good enough. Um, But something like The Bugle, I'll write that um, on the day... ...sometimes the day before... ...and sometimes uh, a significant portion of it on the bus... ...on the way to the recording studio. But deadlines are the thing. I need a deadline if I'm going to write. Bruce, when is it enough? Um, I guess it depends what it is, Bruce... Um, If it's a sandwich, then it's when it's a sandwich size. Uh, If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I don't know. I don't know, Bruce. When is anything enough? When you're dead, maybe. Uh, William says, (laughs) it's too much when it oozes over the sides. Thank you for answering that question for me, William. Cool Beans asks, according to Queen, she never kept the same address to avoid complications. Surely moving house repeatedly is extremely complicated. How did you think this would simplify matters? Uh, I think that if you are moving often enough, you never have to write anything down. So you wouldn't have to deal with things like credit cards, but you would also have trouble dealing with things like taxes. I mean, I don't know how you thought that I would be able to answer that question, Cool Beans, but I hope that I have given at least some kind of perspective on it. Oh, there's an aeroplane. Reese asks, is milk in tea a crime or just a good reason to end a friendship? Well, it depends on the tea, Reese. This is a very good question. Uh, Something like Thai tea, milk is necessary for it. But if you're talking about your kind of standard, like maybe a Darjeeling or a green tea tea, but again, you know, if it's just straight tea, or if you're having some kind of tea-based confection, then I think, you know, I'm, I think maybe you're more of a tea purist than I am, Reese. I think it uh, it depends on the circumstance and the way in which the tea is being served, and the country that you're in, the per- people you're with. Like, I like good tea, but I will take tea bag, tea out of a hotel drawer if that's all that's available. I don't think you can afford to be a tea snob unless you are able to control things more than I am in my life. Uh, Oxy, what are you struggling with recently? I was talking about this with a friend the other day uh, who was asking me, in fact, I can answer two questions once because he was asking me to deal with this in a podcast, which is what? what is, what is your opinion of Trump and what do, what do you have to say and can you say something on the podcast about Trump? I feel like the worst thing about these people uh, whether you are pro or anti-Trump is the amount of brain space that is being wasted on these petty minor disagreements the way that the news cycle is working the way that these people are exploiting the news cycle with these minor outrages that then get blown up um, there's so much human capacity that is being poured down a well, which is growing nothing. There's, if you think of every minute of the day that people have spent on Trump, and how many of those minutes have been productive of anything other than more rage. They're not coming up with good solutions, as far as I can see. No one has solved Trump. No one has really done anything else, anything but give him more fuel and give his allies more um, more fuel and his enemies more fuel but they're not doing anything with that fuel I find it upsetting uh, so that's what I've been struggling with, of, of, with when you have deliberately provocative people this urge that people have to leverage that provocation into their own into their own self image that the reaction that they have tells them something about themselves and then they want to tell other people about themselves so you use Your opinion of Trump as a mirror for your own, um, either your own pro-Trumpness or your own anti-Trumpness, and whatever that says about you, and then you want your friends to see that, and then you pass it out like that. And the more people see it, the more, the larger you feel. I feel like that's a, I mean, this is just me criticizing social media as in a a general thing, but that I feel maybe I've just, I've just come up against the idea that it's so that it's a waste of resources as much as anything else, that the time and energy that is being spent on this stuff is a resource and it's not necessarily a renewable resource. It's it's something that could be used for more useful outcomes and isn't. And in the same way as one day, I was, or one night actually, I was standing at the top of a hill looking out over a city and seeing the lights in the darkness and thinking if every streetlight poured out water rather than light, we would see how ridiculous a thing it is to keep our cities lit like this. If you could see the the mental energy of human beings as water being poured out over barren ground, it would seem like more of an outrage that we are, so many of us, um, wasting time on thinking about people who whose lives we can't affect with our thoughts. So, uh, again, not that, not that that's an argument against political action or political activism or political discussion, but it is an argument against the kind of political discussion that I think leads nowhere or that isn't on a forum that can be useful. If it's developing your ideas, maybe that's a good thing. But if it's, if it's less than that, if it's just... Uh, pitching in on a witch hunt or you know, piling in on someone to show that you're on their side or all of that kind of stuff seems seems like a waste of resources. So that's what I'm struggling with, Oxy. Thank you for the question. Uh, a, Play-Doh, <laughs> a Play-Doh horse... This is all on Twitter, so some of the names are delightful. A Play-Doh horse says, Why do we keep kidding ourselves despite all the evidence before us? Because people are irrational, a Play-Doh horse. People are not as rational as they could be which is people's great strength and people's great weakness VB asks what makes you joyous Um, what makes me joyous are babies I love babies, I have always loved babies they are too little to be mean yet and they are just little bundles of potential and they're very cute which is what they are evolved to be but it's like you know when you walk into a a stationery shop or a Bunnings or or a, a a hardware shop and you look around and you think oh infinite possibility and they're not selling selling you tools or paper or pens they're selling you infinite possibility and every baby has that infinite possibility and 80 percent of them are going to grow up and and not be very interesting but all of them have the seeds of being incredible and they're just squishy which is good babies make me joyous wombats make me joyous um a good book makes me joyous Nice tea in the company of a friend makes me joyous. Having ideas, I think, that thing where your brain changes, where you, where you change your mind about something, where there's some new insight or an epiphany. That is probably my favourite feeling in the world. And you get it a lot when you're a kid, and I hope not to cease to have moments of epiphany or moments of changing opinions, or even the painful ones where you realise that your ideas about yourself were wrong I think those are also really good and it makes me joyous sometimes the ones where you're like oh I've been an idiot they're not so joyous at the time but I'm I'm glad that they exist they're joyous in a meta way Ian asks how does one keep from burning civilization to the ground during this non-stop barrage of news filled with bad people getting all the good things and seemingly no justice for anyone Ian I don't know that fiery revolution is um Going to happen, well, we still have as many bread and circuses as we do, so I would say, how does one keep from burning civilization to the ground during this non stop barrage of news filled with bad people getting all the good things and seeming no no justice for anyone? Uh, one watches Netflix, I think is the answer to that Ian Steve asks, "What is your favorite biscuit? Um, I do not have a favorite biscuit, Steve. I am open to suggestion, so Let me know what your favourite biscuit is. Hit me up on the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Fraser. There's a messaging service there, or you can hit me up on Twitter and tell me your favourite biscuit. Al B says, Hi, Alice. Love your work. I see on here your fans seem very male, at least those who respond slash interact. Is there something about your work that attracts more men to it, or is it just that Twitter is generally more male? Cheers. Al, I would suggest that it is more that most forums lean male in terms of the comments sections. And uh, in terms of my audiences, when on the ground, the people in my audience when I'm doing a show, they tend to be about 50-50. The people who come up to me after shows to talk tend actually to slightly slightly more often be women um, Maybe it is just that men feel more entitled to ask questions or to interact. Maybe it's the bugle. I, I really don't know the answer to that question, um, but I, I mean, it can only I can only respond to the people who ask questions. Um, I I don't have an answer to why more more men on Twitter interact with me on Twitter than otherwise. I, I really can't answer that. Maybe women don't like me on Twitter. Maybe there are more men on Twitter, maybe... Uh, I, yeah, this is, a, this is a question, like, what's good about you? I can't answer that question. Either it's a positive thing that more men are wanting to talk to me um, or it's a negative thing in that women are not wanting to talk to me. Uh, but either way, I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. Uh, Sarah asks, obviously the politics behind comedy are bullshit. What does it look like in a utopia? LAUGHTER um, The politics behind comedy are both bullshit and not bullshit. There are some really beautiful supportive uh, elements to the community and there's also all sorts of things that have to do with marketing and have to do with friend groups and have to do with who's on your team and who's your production management. And, you know, there are certain um, agents that are tied in with television shows and so if you're with that agent you'll be on that television show and they can then use one of their bigger acts and say if you want my bigger act you have to take my smaller act and all of that kind of politicking happens at every level but that happens everywhere in the world too I think um, there isn't really a utopia I, I, I don't know more people being nicer to more people is the only answer to that question uh, so I think that is all of the questions that have been asked so far in this particular round. I could go back to a previous set of questions and try and answer that. But I think, I think this is enough for now. Um, let me know if you enjoyed this solo episode or if you have other questions, I'll do another solo episode at some point. I'm trying to do about one a month or one every four or five uh, to try and keep in touch with you. And otherwise, if you want a more direct interaction, I've got the Patreon and I've got the Twitter and I've got the email address and I will try to answer your questions. I'm pretty good about it. Um, I try to get to everybody at least uh, a quick reply, if not uh, an in-depth reply, and it, it always makes me very happy, when i hear from you because i know you hear from me and it can sometimes feel a little bit like speaking into the void so if you come up to me after a show and say hello please don't be intimidated the number of messages i get where people say i was at your show and are we going to come up and say hi but i was intimidated i am 100 percent not intimidating as a human being i i really want to meet you makes me very happy i will see you soon that is enough rambling for me you're having tea with alice
1: This office mistress we have got Elsie Thompson, it is her name And she helps the doffers at every frame Loudly rightful doll, loudly rightful day On Monday morning when she comes in She hangs her coat on the highest pin around for to view her frames, crying you offers, cry up your ends, loudly rifle oh, all, loudly rifle'd eh. And when the boss he looks round the door, tie our ends up, offers he will roar. Well tie our ends up, we surely do, or else he thompson but not for you. Loudly rifle fold all, oh, loudly rifle day. Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lovely rifle right doll, lovely rifle right doll.